the value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. There's still a lot of concerns around recession. There's still a lot of concerns around inflation as well. And given the fact that cash is giving you somewhere between 5 and 5.5%, depending on what region you're in, if a client wants a defensive income in this environment, should they not just be holding cash? Yeah, I mean, that's a completely uh, fair question. I think the expected asset manager return is going to be, uh, or, or, or um, answer to that is going to be, you should never just own cash and you should have our fund, whatever. I think ultimately the, the truth is, though, you should have more cash than you did. And that's because ultimately it can now at 6%, 5%, depending on where you are, um, tax treatment, etc., I'd also put short duration bonds in here too, uh, government bonds though. Uh, it can actually give you a pretty meaningful return that will probably meet a lot of people's needs. So there should likely be more of it than there has been. It's the, it's the fact though, that it shouldn't just be that. There are four, I think, decent reasons for it not just being that. So one is the reinvestment risk. Today you get a nice yield, but will you still be able to get that or reinvest the proceeds in it a year down the line? Two, I think ultimately it provides you with very little flexibility. So in the case of many cash accounts, you need to actually be locked in. In the case of bonds or you know the short majority bond holdings, you could risk a marked market loss if you decide to change within those few years. I think that kind of relates to the opportunity cost third point, which is that it's a bit like a, a boiling frog argument. It can feel quite comfortable to get 5% or around that up front, but all of a sudden, if you do that for a long period of time, and actually those those rates have been declining, then you might miss out on quite a lot of what opportunities are presented. And in particular, I think um, it's thinking about generational wealth, for example, in that context. How do you actually beat inflation? And I think when there are opportunities around, I do think there are some, you you also need to play for them. And that kind of relates then finally to the, to the fourth point on cushioning. This is a concept basically that if you have um, a decent cash rate, then ultimately if you're a defensive investor, combining it with something a little bit more risky than cash, not necessarily buying equities or um, you know corporate bonds, whatever it might be, but something just a little bit more a foot in the water, you actually get a nice mix of lower drawdowns and participation to the upside. So that's why I wouldn't just be focused on cash at this point. Okay, so you've made the the case for why not just cash. And I guess your point is, is that people who think, well, it's a fallacy if you, if you think you can reinvest at five and a half percent forever. Yeah. Um, but then what else? Because you've just alluded, you've, you know, you've put short duration bonds into the same bu- bucket as cash. But what about longer dated bonds? Um, you kind of mentioned that maybe, you know, if you like duration, yeah. is this, is, is that an area that, that okay. clients yeah, yeah, should be thinking sure. about? So I think ultimately we see the world in terms of, of timeframes. So in a cyclical fashion, our base case, 65% probability on this. Um, so it's not necessarily the highest conviction that it could be, but still the base case. We see a recession accompanied by that inflation coming down very quickly. And this is led by the US into the end of this year or start of next. And so, yes, you're going to see cash rates come down a lot and you aren't going to be able to reinvest at five and a half. I think following that, interestingly, you might find that we're in a different sort of cycle whereby inflation is upward tilting. And so rates are staying higher and fighting against that in contrast to the last cycle. But this is this is some time ahead of us. Although that does sort of relate to your, your duration point, which is I do think that duration is more compelling because it should deliver you decent returns in that scenario, but there are risks to it. And I also think that if you are a defensive investor, it isn't necessarily the be-all and end-all. So we do have more duration. We do think it's more 
uh, attractive. Um, but I do have a, an eye on that longer term in terms of how do we how do we navigate that. So I think for defensive investors, actually, you you can still be um, relatively uh, low in duration terms, but deliver some interesting outcomes. So emerging market debt is one place where that's important. Um, so emerging market debt, I think, is interesting from the context of how you you manage it. So it's often quite volatile. It's often quite risky. Um, but actually, it doesn't have to be if you sort of put it together in the portfolio in an interesting way. Okay, so essentially, what you're saying is that you you can access emerging market debt, you can access that attractive level of yield, and that kind of generous risk premium versus developed markets, um, which is important given the fact you see kind of d- developed market sovereign bonds facing structural concerns. Yeah. But you've mentioned there that you can access it in a conservative manner. I think that's quite interesting. Could you just give a little bit more detail on that? Yeah. Okay. So, so I think that sovereigns are a lot more compelling than corporates. So we hear a lot about people um, owning shorter maturity, very high quality developed market sovereign bonds. And again, as I sort of alluded to at the beginning, I don't really have any issue with that. There's the four reasons why you shouldn't just be doing it, but it's not a problem. Um, I do have an issue with people buying uh, short duration corporate bonds in the expectation that they will be defensive, because for me, that is the ultimate kind of pennies in front of a steamroller in an investable world, i.e. outside of derivatives, because you're getting a few hundred extra basis points, a couple of percent more than your sovereign issue. But actually, if you look at the history of high yield short duration and even investment grade short duration bonds in risk off episodes, you have lost between 15 and 30 percent of your value, for example, in the financial crisis. But even during 2020 and even 2022, those bonds were actually a lot more risky than people expect. So it's not always the case that you can buy a bond and get it your maturity in two years and you've you've earned two percent extra risk free. By definition, it's not the case. But what I think is interesting about EM sovereign is that part of the reason why when you own it through an ETF, through a fund, it's very volatile. Actually, two-thirds of the reason often is its currency. So it's the FX volatility. If you're a European, UK, American investor, it's the volatility in the exchange rate off the denomination of that bond that's bringing you the risk, not the bond itself. So if you buy a two-year, a three-year Brazilian bond, for example, but you take out that currency risk, it behaves in a much less correlated way to equities. It actually behaves much more like your short-dated treasury, your short-dated gilt. But you could be getting a higher return from it because they raised rates earlier, underwent a much more concerted hiking cycle to beat inflation. I think being a region, being an area that's aware of the negative impacts of allowing inflation to get out of control. And so you could be looking at an attractive hedge back to your base currency yield, alongside capital gains if they go through a rate cutting cycle. So I think only things like that, we've talked previously about infrastructure, about dividend aristocrats. Um, When you put those into the portfolio, but you take account of their risks and put them together based on that, not just based on, okay, this thing's called an EM bond, it should be safe, but actually it's got loads of currency risk. I think you can do something quite interesting. Okay, so essentially in this environment, what you're saying is that if a client wants to access a defensive income, don't just necessarily think about just cash or just short duration bonds or even just developed market sovereign bonds. It's thinking about that broader universe, accessing the individual uh, you know, securities and then managing those risks at a, at a portfolio level. Absolutely. The, ne- the, the sort of label uh, has never been less important. It's the, it's the behaviour that really matters at this point. When you have that potential for a really divergent set of outcomes, it could be that we get that base case off a slowdown in inflation, in growth, in which case those sovereign bonds should do you pretty well. But it could also be that actually there is none of that, that we get a meaningful come down in inflation. It was all 
largely COVID related and growth continues to to truck along, in which case you need to have some other asset to have invested through. So actually we quite like call options for that. Or both of those could be wrong and we rerun 2022, in which case inflation is picking up, interest rates have to go up again, growth isn't actually falling, and that's where your cash or your short duration bond holdings are, are coming into play. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.